You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 11 through uh, 21. So if you want to get out your Bible and open it up, that's where we're going to be. Uh, in this passage today, Paul really lays out two paths for the Christian, a path which pursues wisdom and a path that embraces folly. Now, reading uh, this passage reminded me of uh, John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you don't know, it's a story about a character named Christian uh, that is, uh, as he's on his journey uh, to the celestial city. Now, by the time you get to chapter 10, there's two characters. There's Christian and Hopeful. And both of them have become deeply saddened on their journey. Because the pathway had become rough, had become difficult. The pathway was no longer easy, and the terrain in which they're traveling had become incredibly difficult, and they, becoming, they became discouraged. And they wished and hoped for a different path. Uh, now, soon, they would get an opportunity. They came to a fork in the road. A new path emerged, and they had a decision. Do they stay on the path that they're on, which they know leads to the celestial city, though it's rough and it's difficult? Or do they try this new path? It was smooth. It was pleasant looking. It seemed at first as it ran parallel to the road they were on, so they thought, well, it wouldn't hurt. Let's, we'll just go on this road for now. Now, Hopeful, one of the characters, voiced concern. He said, what if... This path should lead us out of the way. He got a text. He got an alert. Warning, warning. Hopeful voice concern. He said, okay, what if this, what if this path leads us uh, astray? Um, and, but Christian, right, desiring an easier journey, persuades Hopeful that all will be fine, that we should follow this nicer, easier path that seems to be going in, in the right direction. Now, the new uh, path was easier on their feet. It met their preferences. It wasn't difficult to travel down. It, it, met, it was everything they wanted it to be. And then they met someone on the road, someone by the name of Vain Confidence. Now, Vain Confidence assured them that this definitely was the right way. This was, in fact, a shortcut to the celestial city. Vain Confidence was positively sure. Now, both Christian and Hopeful were happy to hear it, and they followed vain confidence. But the sun set, and it became very dark, difficult to see. They could not see that the prince over the land had set traps to capture all those who would be brought in by the smooth path. Vain confidence was quickly killed. And as for Christian and Hopeful... They were both captured by a giant whose name was fittingly Giant Despair. When Hopeful realized their mistake, he cried out, Oh, that I had kept the true way. Oh, that I had kept the true way. True, the story captures so many Christians that, who are on this journey and who struggle with wisdom and readily embrace folly who depart from the wise way, often because it's too difficult, and just like Christian and hopeful, foolishness is often embraced due to convenience, because the path seems easier. As Christians, right, we ought to desire wisdom, true wisdom, not 
fortune cookie wisdom, not pop culture wisdom, but true godly wisdom. Paul turns his readers and speaks about this wisdom and, and makes it very clear that we have two paths that, we, that we're going to take, either a road of folly or the road to wisdom. And spoiler alert, and the rest of Ephesians, we're going to see talk about marriages. We're going to see talk about uh, how to parent. We're going to see talks about how to navigate the workplace. But before he discusses any of those complex minefields, he first wants to have a talk about wisdom. Because he knows that those minefields, you will fail if you do not have wisdom. That marriages, that children, that the workplace are difficult that the Christian life is difficult, and that we need to be a wise people. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Hear me, Christian. Each of us need to pray for the gift of discernment, asking God for wisdom. For our own foolish ways are often deceptive, often traps that lead us astray from where we ought to be heading, despite our desire to go to the celestial city. Many of us find ourselves caught by giant despair. But to avoid that, Paul gives us some wonderful counsel, which I try to summarize in two points, expose folly and embrace wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word, I pray that you use it to draw about repentance, that you use it to correct us, to train us up in righteousness. But I pray that we can hear with open hearts and that we may repent where we need to repent, that we can praise you, that we can be encouraged by your kindness to us. Lord, we love you, and we're here to worship you, to serve you, This time is yours, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first point is to expose folly. Look at verse 11. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So it's a simple instruction, right? Do not take part in sinful activity, or at least foolish activity that will lead you to sin. But it is more than that. Paul here is contrasting the unfruitful works of darkness with the fruitful, or excuse me, with the fruit of light in verse nine. Take a look back at last week's uh, section, verse nine of chapter five. Uh, If you if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go on the app and listen to this sermon from last week by Will. But Ephesians five nine says, "For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right." And true, the fruit of light are good works fueled by godly motives, fueled by the Holy Spirit. These are what Christians ought to be producing. And given that we know truth, given that the Holy Spirit indwells in you, this is what we ought to desire, to produce fruit of light rather than be engaged in the unfruitful works of darkness. But Paul has to remind all the readers here that we need to be able to discern between fruitful work and unfruitful work. Because, let's be honest, we have a a great ability to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing good work when our motives are rotten. Look at verse 11 again. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
Right? Paul shows us that we're both to avoid sin and expose sin. But what does it mean to expose sin? Now, some of us are incredibly good at noticing other people's sin more than our own. But Paul is not asking you to be the Chris Hansen of Christianity, right? Exposing Christian sins everywhere you go, right? This is not Paul asking you to, to be a holier-than-thou people throwing stones from your glass house. Also, exposing foolishness does not have to be done like a fool who's brash and brazen with a rude demeanor, nitpicking, nagging, being a theological bully. Right, we're called to expose works of darkness, exposing sinful habits first in our own lives, and then exposing the need for grace to anyone who will listen. Part of how we expose is implied by the text. As we see, we're to avoid works of darkness, meaning we are to live wisely, producing fruit of light. We are to live wise lives, and, and our lives ought to produce the fruit of light, spoken about in verse 9, and the world should see real wisdom on display when they see the Christian, when they see the church. Exposing their darkness and their need for hope. Right? Foolishness should not be named among the Christian. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because we as the church, universally, have somewhat of a bad reputation. And the wisdom seems for many churches and for many individuals have gone by the wayside. And so often we forsake the true way, the wise way, and fall into the hands of giant despair. And why? Why are we like silly sheep who wander off, who go astray and find ourselves in, in the same foolish pit as those who are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit? How is it that those who are redeemed, who know truth, find themselves in the same exact pit as those who are unredeemed, who do not know truth? Honestly, I think it's because we fail to know the standard for real wisdom. We fall prey too easily to counterfeit wisdom. So let me ask you, what determines for the Christian that which is wise or folly? Now some will make decisions completely based off feelings. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, as you, as you tell them about something in their lives, just, hey, I don't think that's a wise thing to do. And the response that you get is, well, I feel a bit peace with this. It could be contrary to Scripture, but still they'll say, yeah, but I feel at peace with this decision. Of course you do. You love your sin. We justify our sin all day. But listen, your feelings are not the standard of wisdom. My feelings are not the standard for wisdom. It is the Holy Scriptures alone that distinguish between wisdom and folly. If we forsake the word, listen, we forsake wisdom. 
and we will marry ourselves to a foolish future, our ministries, our marriages, our children, future generations, our relationships pay the toll for the future lives and habits that we've embraced. We take those foolish decisions and habits and we, and we pass them down. And you know this to be true. We pass down our habits, good and bad. Listen, I, look, all you have to do is look at your parents, right, to see the sad realization is that you're becoming them, right? Despite, despite saying, I am an individual and I will not be like them, you slowly become them. You do. Like, I thought to myself, I will never be like my dad in that area. And then one morning, it happened. I became Doug. That was not what I desired. It's horrible. But that's a slow process. If you have kids, it's easy to see your bad habits and foolish behavior in like real time be passed down. Right? They, they don't, they, you may want them to replicate all the good stuff you do, but they don't. That's not the stuff they pick up all too well. They pick up the foolish behavior. They pick up the bad temper. They pick up the, the sassiness. They pick up the things that lead to sin. They pick up all that you didn't want them to, and you see it in real time. Listen, my son, I love Maddox. He's the sweetest boy. But he has an absent mind, and he loses everything. Literally. He lost a pair of shorts that were on his body. I don't know how you do that. It was Friday night. This past Friday night. And, and I couldn't find his basketball stuff anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere. I looked everywhere. I looked in every piece of laundry we had. But, I mean, it was, I was so frustrated. Because we, we had a procedure that, that he was supposed to follow so we wouldn't lose his clothes again. And so we, we, I, I couldn't find him. And Saturday morning, we, I call one of our friends. He was over there. And, and lo and behold, that's where his, his basketball clothes were. And I remember being so angry. That night, I wanted to wake him up just so I could, like, send him back to bed, like, all angry-like. And, and I was tired. I wasn't thinking. I, I was, I was act, thinking foolishly. Uh, Julie, with, with, who has wisdom, uh, was, had to say, you should calm down and go to bed. You know, we'll work on it in the morning. And, uh, but that morning, we figured out where they were. But it's hard for me to get mad at him that he lost his basketball outfit on that day because within that same day, at the basketball game, I lost my phone and I can't find it anywhere. Nowhere. So I look at him and I'm like, how do I get mad at a kid because I know where he got it from? I know exactly where it is. He got it from me. It's that whole apple tree thing. We pass down the good, the bad, and the ugly. But this is something we need to remember. We need to be able to evaluate our lives and look and have the word expose the folly because we will pass that down too. And you will raise fools. You will send out from your homes fools. If we're not careful and if we're not honest with ourselves, there's nothing more heartbreaking than that. Now, I want to make something clear, because I know some of you will hear 
that this passage says we're not to take part in darkness, and you think this means that you are to retreat in isolation. But I want to tell you, this verse is not a call to withdraw. Rather, this is a call to action. For how are we to expose the darkness with light if we're isolating ourselves, if we're living in retreat? And as a clinical hermit, I'll tell you, I wish that's what it said, but it's not. We're to be active. Jesus says as much in 5.14. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And what does Jesus tell us to do with this light? Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Does this sound like a retreat? Our light shining, exposing the folly of the world, bringing truth of the gospel before the lost, discipling and helping other saints to remain on the right path, keeping the word ever before them, not turning to the left or to the right of it. Now, Paul was specifically talking to the church of Ephesus. And again, if if you didn't hear last week, uh, we saw some of the bad habits and foolish habits that they had embraced But he's talking to them about their sin and their unfruitful works of darkness, some of them which, uh, in context, are sexual in nature. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For if anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, there's somewhat of a debate on what this passage means. Is this referring to the Christian or the non-Christian? The reason for the debate is verse 14, where it says, Therefore it says, Awake, uh, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Is the awakening a product of evangelism? That is, a non-believer whose evil deeds and need for salvation has been exposed by the word? Or... Is this a product of discipleship? Other believers who are awakening one another from their spiritual slumber so they can again produce fruit of light. It's a bit of a mystery. Though let me argue both need to happen. There are people that the Lord's placed in your life and you are to expose them to the word of truth. There are some of you who need to be cheered on, to do good works for your Lord. Because some of you found yourself in a spiritual slumber and desperately need to be encouraged and spurred on to mission. Some of us are caught by giant despair, entangled in foolishness that we have deceived ourselves as okay and acceptable. But we know it's not. Some have, out of convenience or lack of wisdom, feel trapped by their folly, wondering how on earth did I get here, lamenting and crying out the same as the character hopeful, oh, that I had kept the true way. But if we wish to expose folly, we must first embrace wisdom, which is my second point. Let's look at verse 15 together. Look carefully than how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The call here is not to be careless, but 
careful, to be watchful and alert, not blind. Some homework I would love for you to do. I would love for you to go read Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9 is a beautiful picture that shows these two women, both uh, are a personification. On one side, it's the personification of wisdom, lady wisdom. And on the other side is the personification of folly, who's lady folly. And the man walks down the street both with wisdom on one side and folly the other. Both calling out to him, wanting him and to, to come to their way. And, and what's interesting is what distinguishes the two sometimes are small details that the one who's coming through the town must pay attention to and be alert and careful or he'll fall prey to Lady Folly. You can see that truth in the passage of what Paul says here in verse 15. In order to avoid folly, you must be careful. You must think beyond what is quick, easy, pleasurable, convenient. To embrace wisdom, you must be alert and not naive to the beauty of folly. At first, I thought it was a funny concept that Paul has to remind people not to be a fool. Like, that's something we forget. That we go, oh, man, oh, not, I don't, that's right, I didn't want to be a fool. I completely, that missed my radar today. It's not something we likely forget. I don't think we forget that we don't want to be a fool. It's just not always easy to be wise. Oftentimes, just to be honest, we're just not alert. We're not looking. We're not careful. We're not cautious. We flirt with sin. But even more so, to embrace godly wisdom, it demands humility, and that's not easy. God's wisdom requires us first to revere the word and often to put our own fleshly desires to death. It starts by fearing God and submitting to his will. I think often we forget on how to be wise because, just to be honest, we're just not in the word. We cease to hear wisdom. And look, not all of you are good readers. Some of you learn better through listening, right? You, you, you're, you're, you're audible learners. That, that's okay. Technology's made that easy, right? You can listen to the Bible. You can read it. But what you must do is keep it ever before you. When we cease to hear the word, we cease to hear wisdom. Instead, we feed on folly, and we wonder why on earth we're filled with misery. So if you're not consuming Scripture, I want to say it again, you're not hearing wisdom. If you're not plugged in to a local body of Christians, and you find yourself only plugged in to people who don't know the gospel, Scripture says that's, that's foolishness. If you're walking in the counsel of ungodly, right, you, are, you will fall into a trap. That's why Scripture calls you to be plugged in to the local body. Listen, and hear me clearly. Seeking wisdom is an intentional act. It's something intentional. No one 
fell into wisdom. No one accidentally became wise. Now, all of us at some point have accidentally done something foolish, fallen into that pit, like Christian and hopeful. But to be wise, to be wise takes, it has to be intentional. Listen, the Lord desires you to seek wisdom. So much that he gave you wisdom books in our canon. The first book we're going to look at, Proverbs. Right? An entire book dedicated clearly to wisdom. There are a few topics not covered in the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Some are incredibly weird and have a lot to do with oxen. I'm not that familiar with oxen, so those ones go right over my head. But there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, I mean, truly, everything from, from anxiety to anger management to, to hard work versus laziness to marriage, you name it, it's in there. But we ignore it. We completely ignore it. And we wonder why we struggle with foolish decisions. Ecclesiastes is another one, a beautiful and challenging book of the Bible that is meant to offer great wisdom on the meaning of life. I can't tell you how many times in counseling I've, I've had to suggest this book. And I can't tell you probably more than that how many times I've had to open this book for myself. Say, Lord, I need you to counsel me in this because I'm struggling. It's a book of, of beautiful wisdom. There's Job. A book that bleeds wisdom as it stirs up on how we're to live in the light of pain and suffering. Who doesn't need that at some point in your life? Literally, God has given you books of wisdom for your good. He doesn't need wisdom. It's his wisdom. He gave it for you and I for our good and his glory. But even easier than that, God literally says he will give it to you freely if you just ask. Look at James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be freely given. That's, that's amazing. God says, you ask for wisdom, I will give it to you. Who of us is so wise that we need not to ask for help in the department of wisdom from God? He gives us books meant to teach wisdom. He promises us to bless us with wisdom if we simply ask. But so often we fail to embrace that gift because truly we just want the easier path. The path that pleases the flesh. But we must embrace the word if we want to walk as wise saints. It is the word that exposes foolishness. And if we want to embrace wisdom, then it's the word that we need to store in our hearts. If we want to wisely follow Christ, we must listen to the words of our good shepherd. Or we will wander off like the silly sheep. I want to go back to verse 15, but I really want to stick on verse 16 for just a moment. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I find this incredibly interesting. Paul talks about time management, right? 
Now, we could miss a huge and beautiful point here, and I love, I, I kind of, I've, if we, uh, my wife and I, we have all my like, old report cards, and on all of them, the teachers always say, and every single one struggles with time management, and I know that. And so now, like, I love making like Excel sheets that split my day up into 30-minute segments. Like, I get really excited to do that each week. And so, like, I love the idea of time management. I still struggle with it. I know that. That's why I have all my Excel sheets. But, but what I love, there's something so beautiful here that we could miss if we just keep it at that. And I think we best, we best understand the concept uh, uh, when dealing with money. Now, growing up in my home, we didn't talk about money. I, I'd ask uh, my dad, how much did that cost? And he would always say, none of your business. I'd say, oh, okay. Uh, how much do you make, dad? None of your business. That's what he would say to me, none of your business. I didn't know how much anything cost. I had no clue how much being an adult cost. I wish he had made up my business. But I remember when I turned 18, and listen, I... I was a fool's fool. I, I can't, I can't, I look back, I'm, I'm nearly 40, and I look back when I was 18, and I, it's by God's grace that, I'm, that I survived anything. I don't, I don't know how, I, I don't know what I, how that happened, by God's grace only. But I remember at 18, I got a credit card, and I didn't, I didn't know what this was. I was like, free money, and you could pay it back at your leisure? That's amazing. And I started reading some of the details, and then it started talking about numbers and stuff. Ugh. And I skipped over that part, and I saw something that said interest. And I was like, I have an interest in free money. Deal. And I got that credit card, and I ran up that credit card faster than you could imagine. I mean, I bought, I did, the first thing I bought, it was, a, it was a big screen television. At the time, that means it was 36 inches wide and like 50 inches deep. <laughs> it, was, it was huge. But because of this, I've determined uh, that my kids need to be wise with money. Because money scares me. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't want them to fall, find themselves in this pit of despair, with giant despair, you know, $1,000 in debt with nothing to show for it. So I tell them, and I, we pray every night, we pray for wisdom, not only for, my, for them and, and all areas of life, but also for their mom and their dad. We pray for wisdom because we desperately need it. Now, we've talked a lot about money management because I know, like, they're going to, you know, I, I need them to know that. I saw what happened to me. Um, and Claire's great, man. Claire takes any money she gets. She, like, stuffs it in her mattress. Like, she hoards it. She doesn't want to spend it. Maddox, on the other hand... <laughs> he has a stuffed animal obsession. Um, I mean, the kid, he gets any money, and he, can't, he has to buy a stuffed animal. Has to. I can't, I, we've lost count of stuffed animals. Like, when we make his bed, he likes me to take all 300 and, like, set them up in a scene or something. And, and he, he has so many of these things. It's Coco the monkey and Kiwi the sloth. All these are real ones, by the way. There's Axie the axolotl, which is, like, this big. Uh, it's huge. And, and we've, I've tried to say, okay, we need to learn self-control. Right? You need to be responsible with your money. And that sometimes means saving. Adults, that also means sometimes tithing and giving. Right? But I have to explain this to them. Like, this is what it means to be responsible with what God's given you. You can't buy everything you want. Now, Paul, as important as a commodity as money is, and we obsess and, and love money in American culture, as important as money is, and as, as a gift as it is, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something greater than that. He's talking about a commodity that's bigger than that. If you lose money, guess what? You can make money back. He's talking about time. 
You can't make your time back. Once it's spent, it's gone. It's done. Rather than speaking of, of the importance of money, he talks about our greatest commodity, our time. God says your days have been numbered. He alone knows when you'll come home. As we're all on an unceasing march towards death, he awaits you and he tells you with the time that you have, as little or as many days as that is, you need to be wise with it. Be diligent in making sure that we spend those hours wisely Listen, parents, if, you're, if you have children, make sure they spend their hours wisely. Teach them when that means. As important as money management is, time management is, is even greater. But that first may mean that we need to regain possession of the time we waste. We need to redeem our time versus wasting opportunities. Listen, some of you are wasting away, not wisely fighting for the kingdom, not worshiping with your time. If time were a budget, a large section of the pie would have to be labeled fraud, waste, and abuse. Each day is filled with hours that are on loan to you from God. And we need to make sure we are being wise and obedient with what God has commanded of us and how to use that time. Verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right, simply put, the wise obey God. When we sin, we act like fools. And if you sin and you know you're in sin and you're trying to use worldly wisdom to justify it, you need to stop. Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of God for you? That's a question I get often. How do I know what God's will for me is? It's simple. It truly is. You're to glorify him where you're at. Flourish where you're at. Seek holiness. Serve people. Be faithful to the mission that the body of Christ has been called to. Now, Paul gets practical, and he gives wisdom for some real-life problems the church in Ephesus is having. Look at verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, drunkenness was a feature of uh, pagan worship. Intoxication of any sort was the idea of, like, in essence, losing your mind to get closer to God. That was what was happening. And Christians are, in fact, engaging in that this reckless behavior, this unrestrained stupidity. Rather than embracing debauchery, right, we are to walk in wisdom and be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, there are results, good results. The first we see when we embrace wisdom is it will lead the heart Felt worship. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Instead of debauchery leaving our lips, it's replaced with words of worship. We choose wisdom 
with our words. Instead of letting our tongue be divisive or slanderous like fools, we choose to use it to encourage, to promote truth. That means instead of calling our wife names, calling our husbands names, provoking our children to anger, what we see is the wise man uses his lips, the wise woman uses her lips for pointing our families to the joy of the Lord. As brothers and sisters, right, we're to do the same. Use our words, our lips, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We also see that when we embrace wisdom, it leads to thanksgiving. Verses 20 says, uh, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A wise people are a thankful people. Right? They understand the source of all blessings. They understand the point of the day from sunrise to sunset that everything is given as a gift. A thankful heart is not entitled or selfish or wasteful. The wise is generous because we understand that the Lord has dealt with us generously. And we know that we deserve nothing, yet we have God's grace. Out of reverence, it says, we seek to be thankful for God, who has given us all. Notice this last part. It says uh, that, that to embrace wisdom, it will lead to mutual submission. Look at verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul has been talking much about unity in this chapter and in the previous. And it is wise for the church to seek unity. It is not wise for a body to war against itself, which is the only other option. So unless we're willing to submit to one another, notice, out of reverence for Christ, not out of reverence for one another, we don't deserve No one deserves to be submitted to other than Christ himself. And so we submit to one another out of love for he who saved us. Out of reverence for Christ. So what motivates us to be wise, what motivates us to submit to one another and to seek unity is our love for the Lord. And when a church fails to embrace wisdom, when unity is not sought much suffers. We shame the gospel, the testimony, the ministry of a church until they're overtaken by folly and they become like salt who's lost its taste, meaning they just be, we become useless. I don't know about you, but I do not want us to become useless in our foolishness because we are too proud and disobedient to submit to Christ. Now listen, I know it, it is commonplace. Some of you will come here, you listen, and you leave, and you really won't give anything that's been said or anything we've read a second thought. I say you break that habit today. I want you to truly ask yourself today and tomorrow and this week, Ask yourself if you if you've ever been someone who desired and sought wisdom. 
personally, evaluate your life. Have, have you ever valued wisdom? Are you wise with your living? Are you wise with the days and hours that you have left? Are you wise with what God's given you? Are you known as wise or are you known as a hothead and a fool? And listen, there's some of you I know and I love dearly, and some of you are incredibly wise men and women, and I've, I'm deeply appreciative to you. And, and if, you, if you feel confident that you have sought wisdom, then praise the Lord for that. It's on a checkbox, right? Oh, I'm good. And we praise the Lord, and we continue, continue to pursue wisdom. So we're not like Solomon, who was given wisdom and then forsook it in, in his later days. But there's some of you who are hotheads. There's some of you who are too foolish to, to, to address your sin and to repent. You know what it is. I'd ask that you seek wisdom and truly evaluate whether or not you've been chasing folly or wisdom. I ask that you, you check your reputation. Is it someone who is, embraces godly wisdom? Or are you known for being shrewdly dishonest? A sluggard, a sloth who, who wastes away, who doesn't help or do anything? Church, if I asked you, what, should, what adjective should describe the Christian? You could give me some, without question. You could say they should, we should be loving, we should be gracious, patient, kind, and all of those things are true, but what should be at the top of the list is wise. We should be a wise people. There's not a person here who shouldn't daily be praying for wisdom on how we approach the unknowns of each day and how to avoid temptation and making the most of our time and how we better can reach the lost or wisdom on how we can better serve the saints. My prayer is that for us and those little ones who just came in, that we individually and corporately can seek wisdom that we can embrace wisdom for the glory of our God until the day we reach that celestial city. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.